0: My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Merry Christmas from your friends at the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. We are so glad that you have chosen to join us as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ our Savior. This Advent season we have taken the approach of reading the Psalms that are uh, associated with the season, and so today... I want to read for you from uh, Psalm 89. I'm going to read the first few verses and then uh, seven more uh, near the middle. I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. I declare that your steadfast love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens You said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I sworn to my servant David, I will establish your descendants forever and build your throne for all generations. Then you spoke in a vision to your faithful one and said, I've set the crown on one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil I have anointed him. My hand shall always remain with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I'll crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name his horn shall be exalted. I'll set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers, he shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. This psalm... Uh, showing for us the covenant God has made with David. This, this psalm begins with saying, I am going to sing of your steadfast love, that he's going to declare his steadfast love. That word steadfast love is one we've talked about already in the last couple weeks and earlier uh, months ago when we talked in the story of Ruth. It is the story of God's ever. Faithfulness. It is uh, the word "hesed," which means God's faithfulness to His covenant. The way we defined it last week was: it's the uh, the practice and faithfulness you expect from someone who's made a promise. It, It is the way of saying that He is going to. He has been faithful, even when the people on the other side of the covenant has not been His love has been steadfast. And so this psalm begins by celebrating the God who has loved us and loved his creation, even in times when we have not been as faithful as we should be to him, but yet he has been faithful to us. And so part of that faithfulness is saying to us, I have made a covenant with my chosen one, the one who is a descendant of David. In fact, he says, I have made this covenant with the descendants. Of David, the descendants of this servant. So, on the one hand, we recognize that he is talking about a particular one descended from David. This psalm that takes place in this fourth Sunday of Advent is recognizing that there is one who was called the Messiah, who had come from the line of David, that the Jewish people were waiting for to deliver them from their continued struggles and the the evils of the world. They were looking for and, and awaiting a Messiah, and to that. Uh, this psalm points and says, there is one from the line of David who is coming. But on the other hand, when he says, I've sworn to my servant David, I'll establish your descendants forever, there is also a, an anticipation of hope that his descendants are all of God's privileged people, the people of God whom God has saved, whom God has acted for on their behalf again and again throughout the scriptures that this phrase, the descendants of David, is is that God is establishing his people and establishing them forever. It's a way of saying that this one group of people whom God has chosen will forever be chosen, will forever be blessed. And it makes sense to sing this psalm as one of those people, to, to speak of this covenant, to speak of themselves as a particular group of people who have been blessed because at the time of God's activity in and among his chosen people, the Hebrews whom he've led out of slavery and, and where they are now at the writing of this psalm and throughout their history singing this song, it is right for them to say that they are blessed because they followed God, they obeyed God, and to speak of their blessedness is to speak purpose in the face of persecution. That they are recognizing that if they are able to come to terms with the fact that God has blessed us, God is with us, God has chosen us, they're saying that in the face of all the struggle that they are encountering. They're saying that in the face of persecution from the various people's groups that they have been at war with. Yet, in the history of this particular group of people, is the call to be an example to the nations, to be a priest to the nations as some verses will say, to be the means by which this God who has chosen this group of people might come to be known as the God of all the nations. That part of the calling in the covenant that God has made with this group of people is that they will be an example to all the nations and they may all come to know that this one God who has saved them and been with them is a God for everybody. And so... On this day, as we come to Christmas Day, we recognize that God has entered into this particular people group's history in the person of Jesus Christ. That the Gospels of like Matthew and Luke show indeed how connected He is to the people through the genealogy. And that shortly after that birth of Jesus on what we call just a few days afterwards, what we call a day of epiphany, one that we will celebrate soon. Epiphany being a revelation, being an appearing of God to a group of people who are outside the descendants of David. It is revealed there and then among the wise men that God's plan of salvation is indeed also for groups of people outside of the line of David, outside of, of those descendants. Indeed, the three Magi learned that this God, who has so privileged this group of people, who has been with them again and again, saved them from slavery, saved them from outside forces, that the three Magi learned that this God, has so privileged this group of people, has done so out of love, not out of anything that was inherent within them, but because God saw them in their weakness, saw them in their enslavement, and had mercy on them. That this God has loved the world when the world, particularly their world, had nothing to offer. And because God has loved those with nothing to offer, God indeed can love all of us. God loves us when we have nothing or when we have everything. For nothing brings us any closer on our own to this God. It's always a movement of God towards us that brings us to salvation. It is always God's grace and God's mercy. So when I hear in Psalm 89, a phrase like, I will establish your descendants forever. We learn in the face of the incarnation of God, the very Christmas experience, the incarnation of God among his people. We see that his involvement, his I want to enter into and be a part of these chosen group people. We find that in the manger scene with the shepherds and Mary and Joseph. He has entered into the descendants of David. But yet we find that his plan of salvation, the epiphany that it is for the entire world, is evidenced by the three wise men in our manger scene. We learn the truth of Paul's branch imagery in the book of Romans, when he says we have been grafted into this story, like a plant is grafted to another in order to produce fruit, so in the same way all the world has been grafted into this story. The story of salvation, the story of love, the story of chosenness is a story for everyone. It's our story. God has loved even me. It means we no longer hear these words as stories of a privileged people who can do anything they want and get away with it. It is the story of all of us who are called to love, to spread peace, to spread goodwill. And so this psalm ends up being a psalm for us as well. The story of God's covenant, the story of God's steadfast faithfulness, is a story for us precisely where we are as well. The middle section of the psalm that I kind of skipped over before I went to my next reading is a psalm of lament. It's a people singing of God's faithfulness, of a steadfast love, but asking questions like, God, how long are you going to be hidden? How long are you going to be angry? Where is that former love? And God, will you remember us? And so that then, uh, after asking that in this song, they come to recognize that God has been faithful That in verse 19, as we read, that he starts to say, you know, I've set up a crown on one who's going to be mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. That in this story, he is referencing the servant David, but also the descendant of David, the Messiah who comes for the salvation of the world. And it's this one who comes into our world exactly where we need him. It's this Jesus who enters into... The story of smelly shepherds, of a young couple who's scared and lonely. A group of people who have been conquered by the Romans. It's into that history that the Lord descends. That the Prince of Peace is born into that kind of mess. Or as we said in our response of reading, that there is messiness that our God enters into. Mary, a very real person, young and scared. And sometimes I think we forget the messy reality of these kinds of moments. And Mary's choice to obey God and bear the Christ had real consequences. Christ is born into vulnerability. The incarnation story, God becoming flesh, is messy. I like the way that uh, author Dan Boone puts it in his um, uh, book of Everlasting Joy that we have been reading. In his last final devotional, he says this, God, the creator, becomes creature. God, the breath of every living thing, becomes embryo. God, whose hand scoops out oceans, floats in a fetal sack. God, whose voice splits cedar trees, cries for mother's milk. God who crushes king's armies can't walk. God who feeds all living things is hungry. Nothing looks the way we would expect it to. That is not the picture we normally have of God, but the story of the world's redemption comes through real people into messy stories and vulnerable ways to vulnerable people. And we know what vulnerability tends to look like. Bodies that don't respond the way that we wish they would. Homeless seeking a place to sleep. The indebted looking for a better job. The mourning looking for a reason to greet tomorrow's sun. Vulnerable people, precisely those whom God has always throughout history said, You matter. And precisely to those whom God has chosen to dwell, to inhabit, to live among, to act on behalf of. The story of the incarnation is the promise that God is with you right now in the middle of everything that goes on. It is the promise that His steadfast faithfulness sees and loves us right now in all the weakness and struggle of humanity. Christ comes to bring peace. He comes to bring wholeness, and he seeks to heal the brokenness, to forgive the sin, to move us away from the chaos that is often made from our sin, and the chaos that is made from death, and to bring peace, and to bring comfort. Indeed, the words in Psalm um, 25 when it says I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers is a way of saying I will put him over the chaos of this world. For what we find in the seas and the rivers often found in scripture are references to chaos. References to things that are uncertain and unruly in our world. From the creation story of the spirit hovering over the waters and God ordering the world and making it in six days. To other instances of water where we find like in the prophet Jonah. He runs from God and yet finds himself in the midst of chaos where fish can swallow him whole. And again and again in the story of Jesus, we find instances where he's on a boat and the storm comes and the waves rock and everyone's scared. But yet, indeed, we find his hand is over those chaotic waters. And when he says, be still, they are still. In the book of Revelation, the way all the chaos of this world is, is, is explained in the most poetic way is it says, the sea is like glass. In other words, there are no waves. There is is no tumult. God has completely made it calm. Have you ever been at a lake and seen the wind is not blowing and it's as calm as can be and the water reflects perfectly all the trees and stuff around it when when the lake is like glass and as still as can be? That's the picture. That's the imagery he has for us. This is the story of God saying there is peace and there is hope for us that God will indeed answer and call into account the world and all its chaos. And this story is for us. It really is. Well, a lot of times when I hear about Christmas, when I am talk with people, I have a lot of interactions with people who are outside the church as well. A lot of people who, who don't particularly uh, uh, have a personal reason for uh, coming to church on Christmas Eve. For, don't, don't really hold to a faith. And when they talk about Christmas, they say, Christmas for me is just about family. It's just about family. Now I used to think, when I would hear those phrases, I'm like, well, it's more than that, and I've got to make sure I say it's more than that. But I think when people say it's about family, they recognize, yeah, it's about the traditions we have. It's the feeling of joy of belonging, the loving of safety, of knowing that the family I'm with know me for all my faults and my flaws, and they love me anyway, and I'm safe here. It's that sense of belonging, that we know and love each other. And, And it's into that, I can't help but think, the story of Jesus and why it's so powerful, the incarnation, is that Our God makes family out of his world. And he invites us all in to say, no, you are safe with me. And I desire for you to belong. The story of Christmas is the encompassing of this world precisely as it is. In all its messiness. In all its brokenness. In all its vulnerability. and all of its, it's not quite as I expected it would be. It's all wrapped up in the love of God. And all of them are invited and welcomed into the family of God. Those who were traditionally outside of God's grace are granted the realization that this Jesus is for them. They too can be grafted on. There is no privileged position. Christmas means you get to be a part of the family of God as you are without any conditions. This Christ enters into a world and a people and a family with no conditions, with no prior accomplishments uh, with which to prove their worthiness. God is just pleased to dwell there and God is pleased to welcome us into his arms and call us sons and call us daughters. And so this is a season which we remember As according to this psalm and the story of the Christmas story, that this God has loved us. His steadfast faithfulness is ever before us. And so we move this day, this Christmas Eve, into an anticipation of the peace that we hope God will bring. And also into a realization that Christ is with us. Christ loves us. And he enters into our life precisely where we need it right now. In a moment, we're gonna, I'm going to light the Christ candle. The candle is always a symbol of the life of Christ. We'll light that candle and normally it's here. Uh, outside the Advent Christmas season it is, it is uh, placed on this table. It's always a reminder that the presence of Christ is with us. And so we light the candle today to remember that Christ is born. And I'm going to ask Alex at this time to bring the baby child to, um, to the manger and And put that in. You can go ahead and do that now. We've been waiting for that all Advent season. Howard's been saying, wait, where's baby Jesus at? Where's baby Jesus at? And I said, well, this season, it's Advent season. We're waiting for him to come. And so we place it in there to remember and celebrate that God enters into our world precisely where we are and loves us and is with us. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. And so also we light the Christ candle. Remember that Christ's life has entered into this world for us and for our salvation. That we may know God has desired to unite us and welcome us into his family, to call us sons and daughters, to say there is purpose, there is life, and there is salvation for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a time of recognizing this season that uh, you have been faithful, that you are the God who has loved us. And Lord, this season has not always been easy. In fact, we've read some Psalms of Lament that have indicated that sometimes there are seasons indeed when it's not easy, when we wonder what is happening and where you are. And Lord, even as we step into Christmas, As we go into tomorrow, we might find that there is still difficulty in that, but yet that is where you are pleased to make your presence known. And so, Heavenly Father, we open up our hearts to you. We invite your Holy Spirit to reveal to us the presence of your Son, Jesus Christ, the reality that you love and care for this world, and you are with us in the midst of its hardships and its messiness. There you are. And so, Heavenly Father, open up our eyes. Open up our hearts. Help us to see and know that you are the God who provides and is with us and that is still being faithful to the covenant to be near to us again and again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, be with you in truth and love. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. May the child in the manger find a place in your heart this Christmas.